Welcome to Beyond the Bio, a podcast that dives deep into our exceptional leaders at Bain and spotlights the incredible work they're doing. You can look up their bios online, but that only scratches the surface of who they are. On this podcast, we share the stories of why our leaders are truly extraordinary. Joining me today is Ramesh Razdan, Bain's Global Chief Technology and Information Officer. And today we'll talk with Ramesh about his extensive career in digital transformation and innovation, his journey to Bain, and what he's most excited about for the future of technology, both inside and outside of Bain. Ramesh, it's great to have you on the podcast today. Delighted to be here, Keith. Now, Ramesh, as we always do, I want to start with a little bit of your background. I obviously have had a chance to work with you for the last several years pretty closely, but when we were preparing for this, I even learned some things that I wasn't aware of. So maybe we can start by just sharing a little bit about your background with our listeners, and maybe we can start at the very beginning. Where did you grow up, and what was your journey into technology like? I grew up in the remote part of India, northern India, and my journey has been uh, anything but spectacular, if I can get the word correctly. I think if I look at from today for today back, I pride myself to be a leader who is strategically thinker about operator who can actually operate technology at a global scale. But growing up, I don't think that was my ambition. That's what I actually thought about properly growing up in a remote, very, very remote part of the India uh, where hardly anybody actually goes out of the state, forget about going out of the country. I started my career as an engineering graduate and then kind of worked in a high-tech company and transitioned over multiple places to be now in a bit of strategy consulting where we're actually helping companies deliver on value. You mentioned that you went to school and you studied engineering. Why was that the path? I imagine from the way you're describing it, not a lot of people were taking that path with your background. So how did that come about? What led you there? I think what led me to there as I grew up, and I think a lot of people sometimes the system reaffirms to you what you are, and then you believe in that, and that's what it is. I was a numbers guy from get-go. I always wanted to be a math person. I would Anybody would have math numbers, and I would start to do calculations and whatnot. So without a doubt, I was a math person. So I had two paths that I thought about choosing. One was mostly around becoming a deeper finance or an accounting guy or an engineering but I liked physics as well. So that was my path. That's what my destiny. Just like unlike in the U.S., you have to make a choice whether you want to be a, in the medicine or versus a, what I call as, what we call as a non-medicine category, non-medical <laughs> at after 10th grade. So I made that choice very early in my face. Now, when you graduated, you studied electronics engineering. Like me, it sounds like you weren't a fan of mechanical engineering. Uh, shout out to all the mech easies out there. What was your first job after that? Did you go right into engineering? My job after that was just working for a company in India, a company called PCL that used to manufacture from anything from laptops to servers to storage and shipped it all over the India. It was one of the fastest growing companies, and I had a fantastic time out there learning a lot of things. From, I would say, from a very, very close proximity. At those times, today, we are in the world of cloud. Those days, we used to assemble ICs, put memory on the board. So it was a fantastic learning opportunity, both from a software as well as a hardware standpoint. So Ramesh, I know from my days doing internships and working in technical companies, and even as a, as a consultant, there's always stories that come about when you work in those places, especially at that time, because it was all new and people were experimenting and playing and playing games and playing pranks and, and things like that. But there were a lot of war stories and memories that come from that. Are there any from those early days of your career that you'd share with us? Yeah. So I became a guy who was a specialist, technical, both software and hardware, and I was flown all over the India when almost everything had failed and engineering had to go on site and fix stuff. I vividly remember one, one particular story actually flying to a state called Gujarat in India, where we had Indian Space Research Agency. 
uh, hosted. And it was a very particular, very deep engineering problem. Nobody could understand when, when you actually powered on laptops, they would actually shut down. They wouldn't work right from the first time you actually powered on. So it was an opportunity to work with some of the brilliant scientists who actually are defining research and whatnot, and they had very tough problems to solve. So that story was fantastic, but first, because you were working with scientists. Second, it was a deep engineering problem, actually ended up being it was a multitude of problems, as you have with anything else. You lay pale one layer, and if there's one more layer, but deep down, it was an engineering problem, which is kind of what was fascinating to see. What was the underlying problem? The underlying problem was actually when you power on a UPS, it actually consumed a lot of current, and that current was passing on to the motherboard <laughs> and actually uh, shutting it down. So we did just the first part of it, because when you power it on, it actually consumes more current. The UPS did not have a surge protector in it, so which was kind of saying, oh, why is that happening? So fantastic, actually, when you think about that. You know, it's funny. I have a, an, a UPS or uninterruptible power supply on my computers here at home. It almost is like second nature. I'm like, well, I don't want things to shut down and break, so let me just go ahead and plug one in. But back in the 90s, we were kind of learning as we go. You were building it and hoping everything played nicely together. And oops, you, you blew it out and not just blew the UPS, but you blew out the motherboard on the computer and, and back to square one. Correct. Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Now, after that role, you moved on to the National Institute of Technology. What was the transition there and how did you make the decision to make that move? Yeah, I think the, the PCL was a very aggressive company, did really a lot of good things. But I think I kind of thought about I want to transition to something more software, something more. I think networking was emerging as a new area excellence and I had a lot of expertise in that. Mm -hmm. and those days it was novel netware and actually Windows just was starting to do that. It's like early 90, right. I think 97. Was uh, that Windows NT? I think it was the Windows server there. Windows NT, yep. NT had, yep. had to just So I think the uh, NIIT was a kind of a blend of, it was providing services as well as uh, consulting as well as had an all uh, opportunity to do that. So it was a good transition for me to be more deep engineering to be more able to help clients deliver on their ambition stuff. So I took a pivot in my journey to be more client focused, oriented, uh, solve some problems, as I thought that was that was a wonderful thing to do. And was that also based in India, close to home? It started in India, but then uh, I think I actually became one of the few people who was one of the Microsoft certified systems engineers, as they call it. And I had the opportunity to come to U.S. I actually had, believe it or not, actually four or five opportunities prior to that, but I always declined. You become comfortable in your own backyard. You don't mm -hmm. want any change. We all of us become comfortable in our space, so to say. I don't know what triggered it, but this time around, I actually said yes, and here I am 30 years into U.S. now. <laughs> you also transitioned from that role after a little while to EMC. For those people who are listening who don't know, maybe you can start by just describing what EMC was. And then take us through your journey, because you were there for quite a while. Yeah, so I, as I said, I transitioned to an IIT, becoming a consultant, delivering a lot of the solutions and more of a deep technical architect to do that. And as part of the role, when I was in U.S., I was deployed to EMC to help implement an ERP, first implemented in 1999, an Oracle ERP. I think a few months into it, the company liked me too much, and they said, hey, you should join on board. I was not sure, to be honest. I actually wanted to go back first. and But then I said, okay, maybe I experiment and see how it is. Mm -hmm. and then. So 18 years passed by, I was still there enjoying the role. I think EMC was a company that actually had passion, energy, enthusiasm. It was uh, Boston-based, one of the biggest high-tech companies, still continues to have a lot of large presence here in Metro West. But information storage, it was specialized around information storage. It had a lot of things that it innovated, started, and leveraging some of the technologies out there. 
I felt like I was there 18 years, but 18 years, I had almost did like five or six different roles, deep from engineering, working in IT, working in different departments in IT. It was a constant learning experience because the amount of change in the industry was fantastic and it was glad to be part of that journey where you were learning, you were growing, you were sharing with clients and internal at the same time. Now, I do know that we were at EMC for a while, and EMC was later acquired by Dell. What was your impression of, of the Bain people that you met? I think I had a fantastic impression of Bain as one of the other things in 2007, we actually started to implement one more ERP, and Bain was helping us in terms of our strategy, in terms of the business case, as well as helping us figure out how to do the business transition with some control. So I knew the few people that are still are uh, deep friends with me, like Steve Perez, Prasad, and a few more others who were actually part of us helping mm-hmm. us uh, put the governance structure as well as the business case together. So yes, my my journey with Bain in, in a way started in 2007. For those who are longtime listeners, Steve and Prasad both did recent episodes of the podcast. You might want to go back and listen to their journeys. Similar to Ramesh, long careers in tech and related spaces. Ramesh, when you worked alongside or worked with or saw from a distance, depending on the on the project, the Bain teams, were you immediately thinking, wow, consulting firm is probably where I should go next? Honestly, no. <laughs> I was fascinated and energized by what they could produce. One thing that actually was distinct to Bain from any other company that was really focused on, I think now being part of the Bain, I can experience it from the other side of that is, it was always a company that worked with you rather than like against you in a lot of cases to trying to prove you wrong. So that was a fantastic learning for me. The other part of it is the approach and focused on outcomes was really visible to the team. So I would say those two were distinguishing characters, but I was still trying to find my feet, whether I wanted to be a deep technologist. I was right. really intrigued by technology. I was fascinated with what being did, but was not sure that that's what I wanted to do. You ended up spending about 18 years at EMC before you left. Why did you decide to make the decision? You had mentioned earlier that you had gotten comfortable in India and you sort of went back and forth on on leaving India. Now you're probably pretty comfortable at EMC. How did you decide and and who helped you make that decision? Yeah, I think looking back into it, as I said, 18 years kind of passed by, flew by, and sometimes that's what happens to our career. You feel comfortable. You feel you know the ecosystem very well and you can get things done. feel very important in a lot of cases. I had grown to be one of the fastest growing leaders in EMC. And I had one of the unique characters. I was the only person who was a distinguished engineer as well as an SVP, senior vice president. They never either thought if I was a technically smart or I could be a leader. So I think EMC had a lot of ingredients and careers that kept me going and kept me energized. But I felt like I stayed there for way too long. I should have ventured maybe earlier for my own good, for my to make me uncomfortable, to help me learn, to help me explore other areas. So I think... The transition came in when the Dell acquisition happened. It's almost a big, big transition. I think there was a fantastic opportunity as part of Dell also. But I think the realization came just during that it's maybe time for me to think about other things in my life. Now, let me unpack that a little bit because some of the people listening might be a little further along in their careers. And that comes with a lot of benefits. You're trusted, you're known, you sort of know what it takes to get things done, you're a subject matter expert. And you made that transition. Who were the people? in your circle, or as I like to refer to my personal board of directors, that you leaned on to get different perspectives on whether or not it was time? Because the comfort that comes with being someplace for 18 years does have some upside as well, right? 
without a doubt i think you become a known commodity you know you still in the boston suburbia a lot of people still look at me and they feel like i'm in i'm still in emc and dell because i had grown in it and the company had almost exploded during that time so it was yeah. a it was a fantastic opportunity and a lot of good things but i think my personal board of directors i have a deep friend a colleague that i actually i call him a mentor he always guided me and then my is my wife to me two or two parts of the staff who actually kind of keep me honest ask me different questions are you really enjoying the work you do whenever i think about an opportunity i think about three key things and i my now mentor myself a number of people one is are you really enjoying what you do are you learning because if we are stopping learning to me the world is moving at a speed which is impossible to comprehend sometimes to be comfortable you have to be uncomfortable so i think one is am I, are you learning second part of it is are you working in an environment where you are enjoying because if you are not working in an environment then it becomes every day is a drag every right. day is a diff- difficult thing to learn and third is do you see a path to grow and I, when i checked all three i felt like this was time for me in some cases as i said i felt like i was there a little bit too long i i should have made that move earlier Ramesh, thanks for sharing those three things. As somebody who's been in one place for a long time, I ask myself different versions of those same types of questions, and and my wife is a is a big influencer on how I how honest I am with my answers to those questions. Ultimately, the answers to those questions led you to leave, and you made a stop at a consulting firm for a little while, and then ended up at Bain. What was your journey to Bain, and how did you get connected with Bain? Was it were these relationships that you had from your from your Dell EMC days, or or was it a different on ramp for you? Yeah, it's interesting. I, I had a pass by. I actually was doing okay there, but I think the my previous roots in 2007 actually had reached out to me previously, and I was not sure particularly that I wanted to do that. So few thoughts back and forth. Finally, actually, my wife year end. I think I remember very vividly 2018 year end. I had gotten multiple emails and I had ignored it uh, from recruitment as well as my friend had pinged me, but um, recruitment as well as stuff to to store bean. I was not really sure. I think at every point in my career, either my wife triggers me to do certain things or asks me, "Why don't you explore it?" And if you don't like it, solve it. You can always have a choice not to do that. Right. Because I had a short stint, I just didn't feel like that. I should I should move away. But as I kind of explored and got into it, I I felt like it was the right choice for me to come to Bain. Now, what was the role that you joined Bain to do? And this was around the 2018-2019 timeframe. So what what is the full scope of the role that you joined? I think it was clear when Manny had taken the as worldwide managing partner uh, role, I think he was driving a transformation, he was putting the agenda to drive a agenda of growth for put players for number 1 and he wanted a leader for technology across the board that is not only helping running the internal operations of the Bain but also help us driving the outstanding results for our clients that was to me the most gratifying thing to take on the role i i told during the interview process if you're just looking for a cio role keep the lights on that's not what i'm looking for but he was looking for somebody really drive drive the change and get us to a different pace we have made immense progress we, we are not completely there but we have made awesome progress i'm proud of the progress we have made i'm the proud of the progress we are going to make to put us in a very different league and continue to deliver amazing results to our clients yeah and, and just having been here for so long and i've known manny from a distance obviously know him a lot closer now in my current role but driving transformations and and big deal transformations is is sort of 
what he does before breakfast. You know, that, they, they make a career for some people. Manny does them regularly. And it's not surprising that he would sort of throw up the signal and assemble the Avengers to transform the way we deliver for our clients. And, and honestly, the way we do things at Bain. One of the things that just putting this in context, you, you join in 2019 with a transformation mandate. And then in 2020, the pandemic hits. How does that upend, change, accelerate your plans as you thought about what your roadmap was going to be? I think it's a fantastic opportunity for technology to deliver value. I think one thing that characteristic that came from EMC to me was there was always fires going on. Most people can't run away from it. People kind of gave me a nickname that you like chaos. You can put order to chaos. The funny story is operations at that time calls me on a Sunday evening. Hey, office is going to be closing because of COVID. Are we ready? And I'm sweating first to say what to do. But then I think about this as a unique opportunity to turbocharge and deliver to being. So one good news is we had already thought about plans to accelerate a lot of stuff, but mm-hmm. not at a speed that actually the COVID, <laughs> right. COVID forced on us. We had made a lot of choices, like independent, increasing the, putting a lot of tools in place. We were experimenting with it, but we were not actually ready to deploy them at a scale, at a global scale. I think I don't think any company in this world would have comprehended that because it was, you would have thought to be responsible for every company, every 100% of the employees to work remotely. You would have thought, okay, 50%, 40%, maybe people want. So I think just the world turned on its head. I think it was an amazing opportunity. I remember every day uh, running like a true agile organization. We were standing doing stand-up for 40 days, every day, to say what to do, how to deliver on that. I think looking back, it was a fantastic learning opportunity. I think we exactly delivered on our ambition. But it was a lot of work, and I, I think it, credit must go to the team that we made it happen. I've done some enterprise tech work for clients, and we talk about the transition from their, whether it's CIO, CTO, transitioning from sort of caretaker, maintainer of the business, like you said you didn't want to do, to actually delivering value and viewing your sort of, I'll, I'll play loose with the terms, but your IT organization as a strategic asset. And what you were describing just now of getting the call on Sunday and having the business still be able to run on Monday, I think people take that for granted. Like the strain on the network of everybody going, not just going remote, but going remote and then starting to use video conferencing every day. What does that change? Because you had to adjust and, and accommodate that on a global scale almost overnight. Yeah, I think I think people don't understand that obviously video consumes a lot of bandwidth. And I think at that time, the networks were not designed. And we're not the only company, by the way. Almost every company is going remote. So the right. networks itself are stressed. So there is like, you have to think about what is a choke point for the system as a universe rather than just your own company. So right. how do we actually navigate the system? Was So we, we upgraded, I don't remember, 10 or 15 networks on the fly without people knowing it. We created multiple VPN tunnels. We gave a lot of other, we blocked a lot of other traffic, but it seemed seamless to people. You agree that you feel like seamless for you, but we behind the scenes were actually doing a lot of tweaks and optimizations to make the right traffic flow through. It felt, I would say, organized chaos. In a lot of cases, <laughs> I, I would think about yeah. from true chaos to organized chaos. And then I think we came through the process. I, I was fascinated to see, as we thought about new tools, people putting new virtual backgrounds, being happy about uh, whatever they could actually show different types of things, uh, mm-hmm. their own people. And it became a craze overnight to have a virtual background, whatnot, when these tools were available, which, which kind of was was gratifying in a lot of ways. I think a testament to the organization that you've built and the cultural shift that's been happening was as we're going through the the early days and people are trying new things, your organization introduced us to a lot of new collaboration tools that many of us had heard of but never used. 
But people were also bringing new tools to the table. And my experience from the recruiting side was that the organization was supportive in helping us try them. Like just, just try them and see how they work, see what they're, see how they compare to what we're doing. That's not easy to do. It feels risky. And we had a lot of good results. We had some things that we'll laugh about for years to come that that failed miserably and didn't work. It really shined a light on, uh, again, how, how an IT organization can enable a lot of the business processes internally and help us serve our clients better, which was really awesome. Yeah, and I, I think I think technology is getting embedded to be part of every every real life. In every process, we need to, to think about it. And I don't think if it is any innovation in a corner to me is not good. Innovation everywhere is fantastic. And we need to harness it and leverage it to the best of our ability. Innovation also means that not everything is going to work. That's right. We, we should be prepared to fail, but prepared to celebrate doesn't matter wherever it comes from to scale certain things. So I think both of the sides have to be celebrated and appreciated. And as long as there's a good idea, we should celebrate and harness it. I think people get worried about shadow IT and whatnot. I say that IT technology is everywhere. I don't like this old word shadow IT. Like we should embrace the technology. We should allow people to do what they need to do. Establish guardrails that we mm-hmm. need to be avoiding for without a doubt. Celebrate the success and deliver the outcome to our client. I always go with this whole notion of do what is right for the clients, do what's right for the company, do what's right for the group, and the last, do it right for what is right for you. As long as we go in that order, we'll always make the right choices. 100%. Now, that's a great segue into the priorities as they stand now. COVID is still out there, but I'd say the early stages of panic and and organized chaos of the early days of 20 and 21 are, are behind us. What are your top priorities in digital transformation and innovation? No, I think one thing that maybe I, I can expand on in terms of the role is I kind of think about technology providing for every company four different areas, and I'm responsible for four key outcomes for Bain. One is how do we accelerate and deliver insights and experience to our clients? This is in terms of building products, tools, and services. We have done, when I took over, I think we had one or two tools. Today, we have 35 products <laughs> that actually are delivering value to our clients, yeah. and we are waiting, delivering. We are one of the best companies. We are the leaders in the generative AI solutions across the board. We have a number of solutions internally. So first and foremost is, how do we actually accelerate our client's journey? How do we become part of that enabler is, is a fascination of me, but it's also something that we're actually doing. The second part of it is, how do we make everybody in Bain have a wonderful and delightful experience? I call it make people employee productivity. How do we make people productive? Because we are a people business. We're on the business of people. We need to make sure we, we release, remove every friction point in the system and make it make the experience world class. I think we have made a lot of progress there and more to come. I think third, we are growing as a business. We need to we need new recruitment tools. We need new ways to kind of attract and retain the talent. How do we simplify, scale our business operations to build the tools that actually help us scale that? I think is the third part of the focus. We call it digitized backend. And the fourth one is, unfortunately, as technology has become embedded, it's also becoming complicated and world is now in a different phase than it was. So we have to secure our assets. How do we secure and protect and de-risk ourselves is about uh, protecting that. So that to me is protecting our IP and de-risking vein. So those three things, accelerating clients, making employees productive, scaling business operations, as well as protecting vein is the full spectrum of capabilities that uh, I'm responsible for providing to gain. Right. And then when you take those and translate them into the roadmap for where we are in the year now, 24, 25, 26, what is going to be your primary focus and the primary ways that those four pillars will come to life for our clients, for our employees, and for the different groups and stakeholders that we interact with? 
I think every organization, every company is going through technology being more embedded and we're not exception. I think management consulting is more to enable how do we deliver clients and how does technology become embedded part of that. At the end of the day, I feel like this new AI opportunity is tremendous for us and how can we leverage this opportunity not only to help clients, but how do we reduce the friction for our teams to make that easy for us to get the best answers out there from based on what we know is an area of focus for mm-hmm. me to build those tools and experiences. At the same time, internally using the same open AI to reduce the friction and make it make all the answers accessible and make stuff. So I think to me, AI is a fantastic opportunity for us to do and leverage on. I think to me, the other one is what I am personally passionate about is this environment sustainability, this whole concept of ESG. How how does that enable us to do? How can we make technology uh, obviously is consuming a lot of power as well. How how can we balance the two and deliver on that ambition by making a world a better place by, by enabling people to do stuff? I think the third one is a lot of passion around people. We are growing people. We are hiring people. I think we are embracing different types of skills and talents across the board. And I think I'm a spiritual leader to drive. How do we make that experience even better for them? How do we actually enable them? How do we move them tools and experiences and uh, I would say areas where they can get bring the best of themselves every day to deliver on that experience. What I want to do is provide that platform for people to do that. So that's, that to me is a focus area, continues to be a focus area because we're, we're evolving, we're delivering, and I think we can deliver a lot more value to our plus as we embrace the culture of diversity because that diversity will give us the best answers for all the humanity. As we start to close, I want to ask you a couple of other questions. What are you most proud of so far in your tenure? You've, you've accomplished a lot already. I know we've done M&A. You've implemented new tools. You've really changed the pace of change at Bain and enabled us to do better work for our clients. But when you think back over the last couple of years, maybe even the last couple of months, the way things are moving, what are you most proud of? What accomplishments stand out to you? I would highlight a few things. One is, I feel like the key thing is not to do one just build a one-time solution and let go. To me, I have built an organization that is able to scale and deliver at a speed that is unprecedented. Today, we are delivering 10 programs in parallel. I will not scale the organization. To me, the best of people growing them, providing an opportunity, we have allowed that. I am really proud of an organization we have built and the opportunity ahead of us, whether building the digital tools or whether building internal operations or de-risking being. I think the second thing we just talked about, COVID, it was a fantastic opportunity and we're proud of what we have been able to accomplish. But what I am proud of is also we have done 20 plus acquisitions, how we have integrated and connected it to the back end of the business operations, delivered on multiple transformational programs. People kind of worried about SAP. We delivered SAP Salesforce multiple programs this year, which is unprecedented. And I think credit to the team as well as the partnership with business. To me, the way we work is truly kind of uh, inspiring between, I never think about between me and any business leader. We're trying to do that. We're trying to work as one team to deliver, deliver that. It's not a technology organization in isolation. To me, when I talk to you about recruitment, we actually work together to do that. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter to me what roles you play. And I told you day one, what roles you play, what roles I want to deliver an outcome that is. So that to me is a is fascinating. The speed with which we're doing, the amount of innovation we're delivering, and the organization we have built is truly fantastic. Yeah, the amount of change that you just talked about that I've personally experienced in my one little corner of Bain is is astonishing. And I know that you're driving similar change with your organization. It's working with, you had mentioned earlier from your early contact with Bain, that we work with our clients 
And from my experience and talking with plenty of my peers around the world, your organization is working with their clients, whether they're external or internal, which is really awesome. I want to put you on the spot as with, with one last question. We might have to dust this answer off in three to five years to see how, how the prediction worked out. But what gets you excited about technology over the next three, four or five years? And what are you looking forward to? What do you think will change? What do you think will stay the same? I think it is without a doubt. To me, the AI is the next evolution of the journey, uh, particularly with Gen AI. There was a journey to be on, but now AI is embedded. And I think that to me is going to be next evolution of thing. I think this opportunity of AI is going to be a fantastic opportunity for us to get more productivity, but at the same time evolve to a better and balanced world. I think kind of excites me about AI and all the surrounding things. The second part of that is sustainability is a critical thing for us overall. I think what technology can do, what policies and controls that we need to put to me is an exciting opportunity as well, because we need to get to a balanced universe. And I think we're not completely balanced today, and but we are working hard. And I think governments and uh, places are trying to do that. I think contrary to this world is also getting complicated from a technology standpoint. When I think about this is an area of data. Every country is trying to protect the data. Every country is trying to localize. So the world is getting more complicated than ever before, which kind of puts we were in a flat universe. Now the world is going to be more to me more fragmented. So dealing with that in a way that provides the best experience for everybody is going to be a challenge to kind of uh, deliver both sides of the story. I do believe that's going to be a big challenge for every technology company, a big, big challenge for every company. But the part of technology is how do you deliver on both of them when Mm -hmm. the technology kind of assumes everybody is one and the same. Ramesh, I want to thank you for coming on today. We were way overdue to have this conversation. We check in pretty regularly anyway, and I always appreciate our check-ins to hear the dozen or so things that you have your team working on to support the business. And whenever something rolls out or something changes, or I read something in the news, I know it's probably days or a week or two away from showing up on my laptop with giving us a chance to play around with it and see what we can do with it. So I really appreciate that about about the team that you've built and the, and the service they're providing to the rest of the organization. So thank you for coming on today. And I look forward to continuing our conversations going forward. Same here. Thank you for having me here. Wonderful to share some of the insights.